First of all, it's great to be with you this morning. I'd like to uh, start off with an apology. Then I'd like to go into a request. Then I have a few more apologies. Then we'll actually get into the sermon. So here's the first two apologies. Number one, sorry that I have white man's disease and I can't dance for a lick. But I did my best. 
Secondly, I'm stuck here because of lighting issues and feedback issues. So I feel a long way from you. And I don't speak very often. So in order for me to really bring God's Word and connect with your hearts, I need to physically feel closer to you. So, before I get into my next set of apologies, could a lot of you move closer? I think you'll get a better sermon at it. And Marco, in my bag there is a water. Could you toss it to me? Thank you. It's going to get better the closer you get. I also apologize if this service runs late, because up until this point, everyone has been right on time. So there will only be one person to blame if we go long, and that's me. The reason I'm doing all these apologies is in case I go too long, I get all the apologies done before I, before I finish. I'm also going to apologize for, you can bring up the slide now for my title, For lack of a true multimedia approach, we have gifted ministers in our church who do a phenomenal job week in and week out of incorporating the best in modern media and Christian values along with the Word of God and their own life experiences in a way that I think makes for incredible worship. I'm not trained in that. And I do think it's superior, so I apologize in advance, but I do think that despite being able to do that today, I do have a few things that I can help all of us with. And I hope that you'll accept my apology. I'm also final apology. I have no Cinco de Mayo theme. The truth is, if I was going to do a talk on independence and freedom from a Mexican perspective, I'd talk about de septiembre and the, the true independence over Spain, 1810. I wouldn't reference a battle over Puebla in 1862 over the French. So it's not like I'm not simpatico. It's not like I don't have a heart Latino. I do. Para que si. Gracias. Muy amable. It's just I was, I'm given very, I, there are very few times when I get to preach. And I got to know this, this slot five weeks in advance. And I have something that's on my heart that God has given me to speak about. It's called servant leadership for all. Not servant leadership for Bible talk leaders, small group leaders, not community group leaders, not evangelists, not elders, not deacons. No. Servant leadership for every single person who's a follower of God. Every one of us. Every one of us today, when you look at another person as you're leaving, you're going to be thinking, servant leader. Servant leader. Servant leader, even though you're sitting pretty far back. That is how I really want us to think more about ourselves and each other. And I'd like to share a philosophy, an overall worldview of how I'm going to take us on a little journey today help each of us more closely identify with the service that God has called us uniquely to and hopefully inspire you a bit. The quote comes from the author of The Little Prince, 
Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He isn't some guy from the distant past. He died in World War II on July 31st of 1944. He was a pilot fighting for freedom. He was killed. But he had this to say about motivating people, about inspiration. He said this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Then you'll get people to build ships. I'm not going to talk today about all the different opportunities for service within the Lord's church. There's a certain degree of motivating appeal to know what needs are. Amen. Not what we're doing today. How does the sea? It's like a little drop in God's hand. The immensity of eternity. Serving the creator of all things. The person who has redeemed every single person in this room who's committed their life to Christ. I want each of us to remember what we've been called out of. And we'll begin with another story that I think will just exemplify. Servant leadership, because that's what we're talking about today. Servant leadership. Last night, Lon and I are at Disney Hall. We're watching Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. Does anyone ever heard that? Yeah, a few of us. Has any of us ever heard of Lang Lang, the Chinese pianist? Okay, he performed in the Olympics at the opening ceremony. This guy is beyond gifted, and he is profoundly, yeah, that's how he does. Jay's doing it right now. You want to do that for the group, Jay, just like this? Yeah. Anyway, what really hit me as I was there last night is I was thinking about, first of all, his servant leadership, that is, this very famous pianist. He has started an organization for Chinese youth. Take a guess how many Chinese youth pianists there are. How about 40 million? Yeah, 1.3 billion people, and there's about 40 million young pianists. And he's dedicated himself not only to doing performances, but to making sure he can inspire and instruct and help young people get ahead. Has anyone ever heard of Gustavo Dudamel? Does anyone just yell out what it is he does? What does he do for a living? He's a conductor. What he really is, is a servant leader. He's a servant leader, and that's what I saw last night, because when they finished this piece, and you can ask Lon about it, it put the Super Bowl fans to shame. Think about it. You're looking at a bunch of people like me, right? Old, bald, and maybe not quite as heavy. These people, the second, the last, they went crazy. It was louder than you could ever believe because of the incredible way that everyone parted together to do something beautiful. And I think about Dudamel's life. He was born in Barquisimeto, Venezuela, on January 26, 1981. That means he's 32 years old right now. He studied violin and was quite accomplished by his early teenage years. In 1996, that means he was 15 teens, he was 15, he conducted his first symphony. By 1999, at age 18, he became the music director of the Simon Bolivar Youth Orchestra. So what is that? Well, basically it's where impoverished youth, destitute, 
are given an opportunity to have an instrument and to be instructed in doing something beautiful, something that gives them a hope and a future and a vision greater than themselves. That's what he did when he was age 18. It went on from there, international awards, and of course in 2009 he became the music director for the L.A. Phil. And what I really appreciate about him is his humility. This guy is immensely talented. But what he pours his life into, you ever heard of Yola Youth Orchestra of Los Angeles? It's also for poor children to have a chance to learn music. He pours himself into that, and he pours himself into making others better than they would be without his input in their lives. And to me, just watching him last night, how many people have ever worked with highly talented, opinionated folk? Are are they an easy group to work with? I think they'll, they'll they'll drive you to drink. I mean, they'll drive you crazy. I mean, all the people he was conducting, you know, he can't play a note. He's given up his own ability to, you know, play the violin regularly because he's directing others and laying down his life. But what he created by being willing to work with these people was something absolutely majestic. And so I want to hold before you, if you've never had a chance to see him do his work, you might want to go see him sometime. He's amazing. But now let's get your Bibles open. I want to talk about God's Word. And I want to start off with my first point. Because here's how we're going to go today. Do we got the first point? Like I said, I don't use a lot of multimedia. There's the first point. There's your scriptures. We're going to be going into three passages and doing an ex of Jesus. That is drawing out God's Word for increased understanding But beyond understanding, application for our lives. And we're going to look at Christians or servants is going to be point number one. We can leave that slide up for a bit. The second point is great servants make great leaders. And three, great leaders serve. So with that, let me read this passage from Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross 
You know, when you became a Christian, do you remember saying something right before you were baptized? Jesus is Lord. You had your shot. However many years it went on. For me, it was 27 years. I didn't want to be Lord anymore. The kingdom I created, it was not going to last. It was going down. And so when each of us said, Jesus is Lord, we declared ourselves as his servants. We serve the King of Kings for as long as he allows us to have breath. That's who we are. What's the best thing you could ever hope to hear in your life? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Right? That's what we want, right? But now we've got to really examine ourselves. We've got to see, are we really living a life that plays that out? Because that's all we want to hear. At the end of the matter, that's all that's going to matter. If you say... If you should start to hear, like, away from me, uh, wow, what a bummer. And so because we want to please our master, right? Because we've been called out of something that was horrific. I think that it's worth spending some time really identifying with who we are. You know, I think that being a servant in our society has a bad rap. It can be made to sound like a prison. It's not. It's the most liberating thing God ever gave us. And I'll explain that a little bit later, but I'm going to share you some things that I've learned through being a servant. Number one, I don't always feel like serving. This teaches me obedience. I am surrounded by servants with more talent, and better hearts. This teaches me humility. I don't always see the benefits of my service in the time frame I would choose. This teaches me patience. On and on and on, the things that I've learned through service have been things that I could never learn in a classroom. It could be never things that I could command others to give me. It was only things that came through God's plan to show me things. You want to know some benefits to me personally? I'm not the most relatable guy in the world. Can you believe that? And I find that through service, some people who wouldn't really want to talk to me or be my homie, they'll they'll actually be in relationship with me. I'm not lonely. I was lonely when I was at a, you know, a super prestigious university as an undergraduate and blah, 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 and yada, yada. I was lonely. I was sad. I lacked purpose. I lacked hope. Being a servant, wow, less prone to massive mood swings. My joy level isn't tied to how things are going for me. I'm less discouraged by world events. How many of you turn on the news or go to the Internet and it's like, woo-woo, woo-woo? What percentage is it positive? Is it five? Is it ten? It's like bad news sells, right? I mean, and so 
Do you ever get discouraged? Our financial system is, you know, this is the past. But you know what? Most of the bad news I learn about doesn't prevent me from serving. Think about it. What would the biggest misery you could have is never being able to serve ever again. You're a quadriplegic. You have a trach. Every single thing that happens in your life happens from the kindness of other people to you. And you're grateful for it. We should all be dancing in our seats today for the privilege to be able to make a small contribution to another person's life. There is no privilege greater than being a servant. Another thing, my life's been more interesting. You know, I, I didn't know I was going to be a preacher. I mean, I'm not a preacher anymore. I'm an overseer. I'm an elder. I, you know, direct affairs of the church. I try to make sure that needs are met. But I was a period. I was a foreign missionary. I got to preach in Jerusalem. I got to be on both sides of the conflict. I got to be a minority. You know what? Being a minority is a lesson in and of itself. Wow. About 1% of folk over there in the Holy Land are Christian. Most are Muslim or Jewish. And a lot of us here in the United States, we don't really get it when it comes to being a minority. I got to be a minority when I served in the inner city. 60% of the congregation I led was African American. I have a fascinating life. Not because I'm a genius. Not because I'm talented. Because God has chosen me. God has said, Henry, man, I'm so glad you really want help because you really need it, dude. And because of your willingness to get help, I'm going to give you a life. You, would, you, you, can't, you can't even dream of it. You, you can't even make this stuff up. The stuff I've been able to see and learn from because of God's kindness and being able to make a small contribution. Increase gratitude. What usually gets us down? Lack of peace and being ingrates. Not understanding what we really have. And that's why we spend so much time focusing on service opportunities in our church, don't we? Because often when you serve and you see some situations that are new to you and they, you know, they're sad. How many of you have ever felt sad in some of our service opportunities? Where you, 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 you really felt emotionally Wow. And then you had to work through it, right? But part of working through it was, thank you, Father. (laughs) Thank you. And so it increases gratitude. Now, it's time for the audience participation. You're still out there, right? Amen. What prevents us from being servants? Just yell it out. Laziness! That's a big one. Thank you for saying that. It's on my list right here. What else? Selfishness. Fear. Absolutely. Fear of failure. Fear of success. If I'm good at this, maybe I'll have to do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding. Fear of rejection. I'm trying so hard and no one likes me. How about lack of 
faith. But if you pour yourself out in an enterprise that has nothing to do with you, that God will actually take care of you. How about lack of love? You really, at your heart of hearts, you just don't give a rip. Oh, I mean, let's just, let's just be authentic. There's all sorts of needs in this world. You ever met a shortage of needs? Didn't Jesus say, hey, you know, you will always have the poor among you? Must be some of them must be lack of love. So I think here that we, we need to just step back a second. Okay. We follow Christ, right? We're Christians, many of us. And some of you are new and visiting. You're going to be studying the Bible. And this is going to take on a whole new meaning to you. And it's going to be great. But we need to do a better job of following our Lord. I need to do a better job of following my Lord. We need to overcome the obstacles that prevent us from service. We need to more closely identify with the myriad blessings of being a servant. Because if we get our motivation right, and we get our hearts right, and we let God beat down Satan, don't you love to see God do a good beat down on Satan? I just love a good beat down on Satan. Then we... We're going to have lives that are go on and be so much more full of wonder and splendor than we could have ever hoped for. I want to read a poem that I think deals with overcoming some of the concerns people have about really going for it when it comes to service. Many of you have heard this poem. It's called Anyway, right? It says, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind... People may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis... It is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And so if we understand that we have this privileged relationship, that we're going to stand before the creator of all things someday, and the book of life will have been played on all these other people, and you will have seen some stuff that will make your hair fall out, and all of a sudden it gets to your turn, and you're going, oh man, what are they going to show? And Jesus steps up. He goes, excuse me, Father, um, this dude right here, yeah. Yeah, he's a mess, but he's my mess. Okay, thank you. Next. You're going to be going crazy. You're going to be so fired up. We serve God. We get a chance to because Jesus died for us. There was not a hope for anyone in this room. Least of all me, the worst of all sinners. 
But God had a plan. Christians are servants. Point number two. Great servants make great leaders. Matthew 20, is it up there? Point number two. There you go. So we're in Matthew 20. Say amen when you get there. I know I can't hear pages anymore. They're, they're, not because my hearing's bad. It's actually pretty good. This there aren't any pages. I have pages. That's because I'm old school. We're starting to get there. I've heard about 15 amens. There's about 300 of you. Oh, I, oh, whew. <laughs> no more lollygagging. <laughs> I better get on with this thing. Great servants make great leaders. And you all know the story. It's an embarrassing story for these guys. But a mother's request that I don't think, I think they put her up to it. That's my own opinion. We'll get to ask God later when we're in heaven. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. He said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles loaded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I'm going to share a little story. Another thing, another disclaimer, another apology. I work full-time in medicine. I borrow liberally from anywhere I can steal a good idea. Some stuff I add from my own life, very little of it comes from my own brain. Places I go to, I go to commentaries, I go to BibleGateway.com, I go to the Internet. I, now, anything that doesn't jive with God's Word, it's out. I go to SermonCentral.com, and you know, I try to attribute credit to wherever I steal from. But I want to let you know that I do steal. Okay? Is everyone all right with that? All right. I just want to let you know because otherwise you might not think so well of me. Here's a little story that I stole. It's called The Last Wish of Horville Sash. Original author unknown. <laughs> I don't have to give credit. We don't know who it was. Horville Sash had a very humble job in the offices of the largest corporation in the world. He worked as a mail clerk in the lowest reaches of the building, doing what he could do to help other people with their jobs. Often he wondered what went on the floor above him. 
but he did not dwell on it too long. Then came a day when Orville found a bug scurrying across the floor. As the mailroom clerk, Orville only had bugs to command. He raised his foot to flatten the bug when it's blood. Please don't kill me! If you let me live, I'll give you three wishes. Orville figured that even if he didn't get the wishes, a talking bug can make him a lot of money. So he let the bug live. And the bug asked him what he wanted for his first wish. To be promoted to the second floor, said Horville. The next day, Horville's boss came in and told him he would move up to the second floor that very day. Horville walked into the second floor like a conquering general. But soon he heard footsteps on the floor above him. He said to the bug, My second wish is to be promoted floor by floor until I reach the very top. Until I'm in charge of this company. Done, said the bug. And floor by floor, he moved his way through the ranks. 10th floor, 20th floor, 50th floor, 90th floor, and finally to the very top floor. He was as high as he could go. Chairman of the board, baby. CEO. Corner office on the top floor of the building. One day, he heard footsteps above him. He saw a sign that said stairs. He went up, found a rooftop, and there he found one of his clerks near the edge of the building with his eyes closed. What are you doing? Praying, came the answer. To whom? Pointing a finger toward the the sky, the boy said, to God. Oh, panic gripped horrible and disgust. There was a floor above him? He couldn't see it. All he saw was clouds. He couldn't hear the shuffling of feet. Do you mean that there's authority over me? Horrible summoned the bug. It was time for his third wish. Make me God. Make me the highest. Put me in the kind of position only God would hold if he were here on earth. Very next day, Horrible Sash awakened to find himself in the basement, sorting the mail, and doing what he could to help others be the best they could possibly be. That's how Horrible Sash learned what Jesus taught. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servants. And to Horrible Sash, we say thank you. Now, let's just take a deep breath. Let it out. Get your cheese centered. Um, think about it. If your life ambition is to be great and recognized and exert authority over, over others, you will probably go it alone. And you only have yourself to work with. Think about that. This is from me. This is actually me saying something that I've observed and I believe it to be true. Now, God's plan improves our odds of having a significant life by providing us with almost unlimited material to work with. 
wouldn't you want to spend your life working with better odds? Think of you just had to watch one movie your whole life, over and over and over and over. And I mean, Jurassic Park might have been great the first 15 times. Trust me, you're going to go crazy. Look around the room. Look at the sea of opportunity. Think about the six billion people on this planet you get to partner with. You probably won't get to all of them. But isn't it great not to be stuck with you? Depending on your own self to be great? I mean, God gives us ambition. It's how we go about it. And I think the odds are a lot better if we understand that service is the stairway to heaven. Not that song back in the 70s. You know, we all know a quote. We hear it every January. We know that everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Who said that? Exactly right. Now, we all know that because of Day on Hope. We all we have a holiday for Dr. King and his incredible contributions to our country, including his, his martyrdom. But it's not the entire quote. The entire quote goes like this. Everybody can be great. Because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And so as we leave point two on servant leadership and that great servants make great leaders, we need to get out of the prison of self and make available God's plan to grab hold of it, to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm not stuck with me. Because if you were stuck with you to become great, I won't say anything more. I don't want to be stuck with me, and I'm sure you don't want to be stuck just with you. You want to be partnered with Jesus, and you want a life that's better than anything you could have hoped for. Finally, great leaders serve. we got the last slide. Beautiful. Give me an amen when you're at Second Chronicles 28. Now, I have five minutes. That's great. I'm probably not going to be late. I guess you give a big amen for that. I'm going to start reading whether you're there or not. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops, under every spreading tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram. The Arameans defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel. This is the divided kingdom. I'm not going to spend time to go over all the history. It's a great thing for you to study out, though, because you'll learn a lot about how patient God is with his people. He was also given in the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. In one day, Pekah, son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Zikri, an Ephraimite warrior, killed Maseah, the king's son, 
as Rakam, the officer in charge of the palace, and Elkanah, second to the king. The men of Israel took captive from their fellow Israelites, who were from Judah, 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. So God sends them to deal with these people who have really gone astray. And they, 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 they don't just bring a fly swatter to get us. They bring an atom bomb. And they nuke the place. And they take away the wives and the sons and the daughters. These are their fellow, fellow brothers and sisters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. He said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites. You have taken as prisoners. For the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders in Ephraim, Azariah son of Jehonan, Berechiah son of, forget that name, Jezekiah son of Shalom, and Amasa son of Hadlai confronted those who were arriving from the war. You must not bring these, those prisoners here, they said, or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and the fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow Israelites at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. So basically, you have some people who are leaders who mess up. Have you ever seen any leaders mess up? I have. I've seen myself mess up a bunch. And I'll tell you, here's a newsflash for every servant leader, because we're all servant leaders, right? We're all servant leaders, right? Every single one of us is a servant leader. Christians are servants, right? Great servants make what? Great leaders. You're all a bunch of mess-ups. Forget about it. Don't even bother. Oh, is that the right attitude? No. Newsflash. You're going to mess up. Even trying to do good, we mess up. Even on our best days, we mess up. We will have the most pure, the most sincere, the most ideal intentions. We'll work so hard. We'll lay down our very lives, and guess what? We'll still mess up. Here's the solution when you mess up as a servant leader. Remember that great leaders aren't perfect. The secret to their greatness is, number one, they always go back to remembering who they serve. Who do we serve? Jesus. God. Our Redeemer. And they go back and they submit their lives when they've messed up to God. So what helps anybody ever get back to God is coming back into your right mind and understanding. You've got to go back to verses you think of, such as Psalm 123.2. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. As we conclude, I want you to know that it has been a privilege to share with you today. I love being a servant. I hope you feel that from me. I love being your servant. Most importantly, I love being a servant of Jesus Christ. But even recently, in the last couple of weeks, I sat in a meeting where a member from another group wrote a letter of a number of things that he thought were not going well in our church. And one of the things that the elders were specifically, all five elders were asked to attend, and we all came. Told that often elders are perceived as bosses and even bullies. Dude! Okay, alright. Must have messed up somewhere. It happens. Despite all the things you try to do. It doesn't mean that you stop trying to be a servant or take responsibility for being a leader. It just comes with the territory. We've studied out that Christians are servants. Great servants make great leaders. Great leaders serve, especially a remember to serve. You better always remember to serve once you come back into your right mind and realize you've fallen short again. Because we're all mess-ups. Now, I want to read you a final quote by Roy Lesson, and we'll be done. Eh, a little late. Sorry, let me apologize again. This is a good quote. I don't want to mess this one up. My teeth might get stuck in my lips. Try and get, I'll mess up again. You put yourself out there, you're going to mess up. A godly leader finds strength by realizing his weaknesses, finds authority by being under authority, finds direction by laying down his own plans, finds vision by seeing the needs of others, finds credibility by being an example, finds loyalty by expressing compassion, finds honor by being faithful, finds greatness by being a servant. Servant leadership for all. Amen.